This morning we're in Genesis chapter 16, uh, quite a remarkable chapter. But in chapter 15, we have God establishing a covenant between himself and Abram. And it's not a what we would call a two-sided covenant, uh, which most covenants or contracts are. But God is revealing to Abraham and telling Abraham, he said, Abraham, here is what you can count on. Here is what will be. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 15, to your descendants, Abram, I, speaking of himself, God, give this land from the river Nile in Egypt to the great river Euphrates in the north. Have you ever thought about that? That happens to be the land that uh, the land for peace that everybody tries to give away for Israel now. Everybody wants to step in and give Israel's land away. And God says, no, no, I give it to you, Israel. And the whole world calls on Israel to surrender this land that God has given to Israel. It hasn't been... Uh, a compromise. God says, I give it to you. Since God made everything, created this world, and created everything in the world, I think it's his to give. But uh, we have an everlasting promise by God to Abram and to the descendants of Abram or the Jewish people that this is their land. That's a contrast to what we try to do as Israel's friend. The United States today is more than willing to give up Israel's land to the Palestinians for peace. And we're supposed to be Israel's friend. Not only are we, the United States speaking of, betraying Israel by offering land for peace, but we're also declaring to God that your covenant is not real or true. And we try to make God's covenant with Abram null and void. I think we would be wise as a people, as a nation, not to meddle with Israel's boundaries. Or, for that matter, mess with God's covenant to Israel. But here we are today in America, and we try to tell Israel... We even try to tell Israel where they can build communities or have construction projects. You can't build a neighborhood there. That might offend somebody, Israel. It's their land. And we even speak of Jerusalem being a city, an international city. And I think that is wrong on our part. In my humble opinion, and I get to voice it because... I got the platform. I say be careful, America, lest we find ourselves opposing God and his covenant with Israel. And with that, we move into chapter 16. Chapter 16 is um, a, a chapter that demands our attention. We have to look at this chapter in view of what the world is today. And when you do that, 
you can see where sin has its long-reaching tentacles. It has its many ramifications that affect us today. The sin of Abraham and Sarah, as we get into it, affect us today. And what was that, four or 5,000 years ago that they committed their sin? But anyway, chapter 16 of Genesis. Let's read the whole chapter. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See how the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarah speaking of, became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I came despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between her, or the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Sir. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the Lord <clears throat> said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. And you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also seen him who sees me. Therefore the well which was called Bir Lahai Roy, observe it, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we have here the story of Ishmael coming into this world. Verse 1, Sarah she recognizes, she says, I am barren. And she blames herself uh, for uh, not having any children. In times past, the woman, rightly or wrongly so, would usually be blamed for a couple not having children. But with Sarai, this is true. She is the one that is barren. And Sarah comes to Abram, 
Now, she is around 75 years old when she comes to Abram. And her complaint to Abram, God has restrained me from having children. I cannot bear children. And this is the truth. But Sarai, she's got a solution. She knows how to help God. Think of that for a moment. Go into my maid, Hagar. Perhaps I should have a child this way. There is a, I went into a garage one time, a mechanic's garage, and on the wall was a sign of his hourly rates. Labor, $50 an hour. If you watch, $60 an hour. If you try to help, $80 an hour. And that is what's happening here. Abram and Sarah are going to try to help God. It was not uncommon years ago for a woman of means who had uh, slaves or servants to raise up one of her maids or slaves' children as her own. And that is exactly what Sarah's doing here. Abram, he agrees to this. And he says, okay, if you insist, Sarai, and Abram, he goes in to Hagar, and she conceives. And now the trouble really begins. It begins for Abram, it begins for Sarah, and it begins for Hagar. And we have tremendous division now brought into this family, and it's because they're trying to help God. For Hagar's son will be Ishmael, and Ishmael happens to be the father of the Arab world. Of all the Muslims, you now have Ishmael, their father. And this hatred, born and conceived by Hagar, is done at the request of Sarai and Abram. And this is one tremendous sin, for we still feel the effects today. For millions and millions upon Muslims have been born and raised to hate Jews, who come through Isaac, one of Abram's later sons, the son of promise. And this hatred goes back and forth both ways, for the Jews hate the Arabs also. It's not so clean that there's just one side hating the other. It's a mutual hate. But I don't think there's any sin that you can point at in, in all of history that has cost more human lives than the sin of Abram and Sarah. This sin is right up there with the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, eating from the tree of knowledge and then having to die because they ate of that tree. They had to suffer death because of their sin. But the moment that Hagar realizes that she is pregnant, that she is with child, she despises Sarah. This attempt to help God bring about his promise of children 
by Abram and Sarai, it's catastrophic to say the least. I don't know of any sin apart from the tree of knowledge that's any greater. Because we now have hatred. And the hatred between Hagar and Sarah is out of control. It's a hate, it's a loathing that is so strong that it consumes them. And the thing is that hatred is alive and well today. For the descendants of these two women still hate each other. And over the years, go back through the millenniums, through the centuries, millions and millions of people have lost their life. They have shed their blood because of the hatred that is there between these two women. The hatred is there because Sarah and Abraham have decided to help God. It has been said where we think we're the strongest is where we do the most damage. And I, I think that's a truism. Abram, he's known for what? He's a man of faith. He's known for his faith because we just read last week where believing God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now Sarah asked her believing husband, cast your faith aside, Abram. Go into Hagar and father a child. Abram agrees. He agrees to her plan of unbelief. It's an absolute plan of unbelief without even a whimper of resistance. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't object to this whatsoever. And that only brings to point that we're the most dangerous when we dare to consider that we in this carnal flesh can help God. or even begin to assume that God needs us. There is a great lie that is often quoted, and many people think it is in the Bible, but it isn't in the Bible, and that is God helps those who help themselves. You will not find that in Scripture. <laughs> it is not there. To think God needs our help to accomplish his promises it's nothing more than pride. That's all it is. It's pride. So behind the sin of Abram and Sarah is unbelief. And in their unbelief, they're being prideful because they're going to try to help God. Back in the 70s, there was a TV evangelist, and he was very popular. Uh, he was one of the top-rated uh, Christian TV programs. He was very charismatic. He could sing, had a beautiful voice, and what's more important for a TV evangelist, he could weep in a moment's notice. That man could bring tears on. And these are great qualities when you're on TV. I personally heard this TV evangelist declare that he was the only person that could be used to preach the gospel to these different third world nations. So send your money to him and that he would then go and preach the gospel to these third world nation. Trouble is, within a few weeks, he is off of TV because he got caught up in a sexual scandal and he's off TV. 
But lately, and I mean real lately, in the last six months or so, I channel surfing, I see he's back on TV. But anyway. But he isn't quite so popular this time because some of us old folks remember him. But, but look at Sarah's attitude towards Abram and look at her words towards Abram after Hagar is pregnant. Verse 5, my wrong, and she admits she's wrong, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Now listen to this. The Lord judge between you and me, Abram. You first read that, you think, hey, hey, hold up there, Sarah. This is your idea. Now we assume... And I think rightly so, that Abram has shared with Sarah God's promise that they will have a child. He and Sarah would have a child. But to whom was the promise given? Abram. And who is the one who has believed God and it has been accounted to him as righteousness? Abram. And who is responsible before God? Abram. So Sarah has every right to say to her spiritual leader of the family, the Lord judge between you and me. Sarah, she's openly saying to Abram, you have failed me as a man of God. As the spiritual leader of our family, you have failed me. And all you can say to that is, ouch, that one hurts. That's, that's a truism there. Let me be real plain here, fellows. We have the responsibility before God, before our wives, before our families, to be the spiritual leader in our families, and we cannot shy away from it. And the women have a right to expect that of us. But what has... Abram, what has he succumbed to? Logic, you know. You know, Sarah's got a good idea there. We'll have a child through her maid. But it's pleasurable logic, isn't it? Pleasurable logic is an enemy of faith. Abram's wife has suggested this tryst with uh, this embrace, this pleasurable encounter with Hagar. And here's the point. Abram, he doesn't object to this at all. It just simply says, and Abram went into her. He goes into Hagar. Abram doesn't say, hey, Sarah, maybe we're acting a little harshly, a little too quickly here. Let's pray about this. Abram doesn't say that. <laughs> we don't see any reflection on Abram's part. No mention of the promise. Hey, wait, wait. God promised you and I a son, not you, I, and Hagar. Abram doesn't say that either. And at this time in their relationship, Sarah only holds contempt for Abram. Remember, 
Abram failed Sarah when they went down to Egypt. When Abram said, hey, why don't you just tell the Egyptians that you're my sister, not my wife? What do you think Sarah thinks of Abram as a man of God? And now her husband, yeah, he listened to her, but he went into another woman. And it appeared like a good idea to Abram, this man of God. Now Sarah, she calls to the Lord, the Lord judge between you and me, Abram. You're my husband, but I say God judge between us. Now that doesn't excuse Sarah in the least. We're all responsible for our own sin. But Sarah, she'll regret this suggestion. It will haunt her the rest of her life. Not only that, her maidservant, who was probably a decent maidservant, now despises her. And Hagar, when she realizes she's pregnant, she heaps scorn upon Sarah. And Sarah can't handle the scorn. And she can't handle the thought knowing that she brought it on herself. It was her idea. And Abram, he wants peace in his family. And he says to Sarah, do as you please with her. He gives her an open uh, avenue to take care of Hagar any way she pleases. But Sarah is so vindictive that Hagar flees from her. She just runs out into the wilderness. And she comes on a spring of water near Sir. And then we have what we call a Christophany, the angel of the Lord. I believe none other than Jesus himself appears to Hagar and he finds her and he says to her where have you come from and where are you going Hagar's simple reply is I am fleeing Sarah and then we come to what I think is a hard command by our Lord Jesus to Hagar notice what Jesus tells Hagar Return to Sarah and submit yourself to her. Whoa. But that was unpleasant. This command by our Lord flies in the face of what we would call positive confession. We're never supposed to have anything bad happen to our lives, are we? I mean, after all, being a Christian means sitting in a recliner, eating popcorn, and having a few Pepsis. Not true. We will have difficult times. And here Jesus himself tells Hagar, return to Sarah and submit to her. Why did Hagar leave Sarah? I think it's easy to say that it was probably mental abuse that she was going through. Might even have been physical abuse that she was going to. Jesus tells her, you go back. And in verse 6, we see that Sarah treats her harshly or severely. Hagar goes back to a difficult situation. It's distressing, and it's by the command of the Lord. 
you might even say Sarah is being a bully to Hagar. And I think that would be true. But Hagar, she despised Sarah the moment that she realized that she was pregnant. She despised Sarah. And here we have this home of Abraham, a home that now sin has been introduced into this home, and the consequences of that sin must be dealt with. There's no easy solution to this sin. There's no easy fix here. Yes, we can sin. Yes, we can receive forgiveness. But we also have to live with that disobedience that we've committed. We have to live many times with our Ishmaels that we have created through disobedience. Jesus says to Hagar, return you're with child, it's a boy child, name him Ishmael. God hears and sees your affliction, Hagar. God knows what you're going through, Hagar. Your son, he's going to be a wild man. He will strive against other men, and every man will strive against him, and Ishmael will live among his brethren. Now, this is a difficult thing for a mother to hear that her son is a wild man. <laughs> Your son will be a wild man. He will strive against other men. Hagar, her response to the Lord, you are the God who sees. Nothing is hidden from you, Lord. And now I have seen you, the one who sees. And it's Hagar's way of saying, I have seen the Christ. Hagar names the well where Jesus met with her Bir Lahai Roy, the well of the living one that sees. This is where she has encountered Christ. And this would be a total tragic story if not for God wanting to teach all of us, his people, a very valuable lesson. You can leave here and just say this is a very sad story, or you can take from this story what God would have us to learn from it. And that is, has God given you a promise? Has God promised you something? Are you willing to wait for the fulfillment of that promise? I can only say to you, please do not attempt to help God bring about his promise. He doesn't need our help. He's God. Allow God to bring about his promise in your life the way he wants, the time he wants to do it. It's his doings. But here's the thing. If you're anything like me and you receive a good promise from the Lord, what do you want to do? You want to help God bring it about. Hey, that's great news, Lord. I'm going to go out and help you now. <laughs> no, back off. <laughs> and when any of us get ahead of God, we're sorely tempted to help God. We want to help God. We want to push our own agenda. 
I can only say, allow God, who loves you abundantly, to bless you above what you could ask or think, and allow him to do it in his way and in his time. And Abram and Sarah, they're great examples of God giving them a promise, but they're also an example of having to wait. It will be another 14 years in Abram's and Sarah's life before Isaac is born. It has been 25 years from the time God gave the promise for them to have a son till that son is born. 25 years. But they wanted to help God. And look at the mess they made. God is God. He doesn't need our help. We're blessed if he allows us to minister in any way. So am I helping God by being a pastor? <laughs> you know better and I know better. <laughs> you know, that's a joke. I'm blessed of God that I get to be a minister. And I get to stand up here and proclaim his word. And the same with you. You're blessed just to know the living God and have a relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, first of all, we ask that you would give us patience. Lord, I'm sure that each of us here have been given promises by you that you want to do in our hearts and lives good things that you want to do, let us be men and women of faith waiting for you to bring those about. Don't let us get ahead of you, Lord. Let us understand that you truly love us and that you want to bring about these promises in your way and in your time. So don't let us raise up and be filled with pride, Lord, and, and try to assume that we can help you. So, Lord, we ask, do your thing, do your perfect will in our hearts and lives in your time, and just give us the faith to trust and believe. We ask for this, and we pray for this, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.